0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. Wow. Today's special. Uh, Charity Lumpo is going to welcome us into the program. Hey, Charity. She's an accomplished executive and leader with decades of working experience in verticals like insurance, banking, tourism, telecommunications. She's the founder and managing director of an investment consultancy and a philanthropic fo- uh, foundation and board chairperson of a leadership company focused on coaching leaders in Africa. Now, a storied career indeed, she's previously held the positions of Managing Director of Zambia National Tourism Board, EcoBank Zambia Limited, and Airtel Network Zambia PLC, where she was the first female in Zambian to be appointed to the role. Amongst her many other achievements, is having successfully set up EcoBank Zambia Limited as a greenfield financial institution in 2008, and she became its founding Managing Director. She's the first female board chairman of Zanaco PLC and the St. Ignatius College of the Jesuits. She was member of the boards of Air Namibia, Livingstone International University of Tourism Excellence and Business Management, and the project board of the Women's Bank Zambia Limited. She joined the supervisory board of Oik Credit in June 2022. And this is what I love. This is what we're going to get into, Charity. You're known as being a very transformational leader committed to furthering the standards of excellence and governance. Your expertise encompasses many aspects of financial and business development. And your work is involved governance and building consensus amongst teams and stakeholders to promote transparency and influence positive organizational change. That's where we're going to start, Charity. Welcome to the show. So what is what is positive organizational change? Like, what's your secret uh, to having such a long extended successful career? And people looked up to you because you know what it takes to actually transform culture.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, that was a lot. And I'm just trying to keep, <laughs> keep up with it. I'm like, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> so a positive organizational change is about engaging with everybody at each and every level of the, of the organization to bring in the change that you need. Because it's, if the tone at the top is wrong, Mm -hmm. And you're only focusing just at the next level leadership, then you really, you won't get the change that you're looking for. You really need to go down to the trenches, be with the people, because that's where the change actually begins. You set the tone, but the change really needs to begin at the bottom. The people are actually having to institute the change that you're wanting to implement. So... It's all about bringing everybody together, having one common purpose, being driven to one common goal and doing it harmoniously. Obviously, it's not always 100% harmonious, but if you've got the majority of the people behind the idea, then you get somewhere real quick, real fast and more effectively. And to do that, obviously, you want a lot of uh, attention to detail. That's where the excellence comes in because it's pointless doing something right, but the attention to detail is poor and then you end up with just a whole total mess. So that, for me, is something that I've really focused on from both the managerial point of view, leadership point of view, as well as a governance point of view.
0: Wow, we're going <laughs> to tackle a whole bunch of that there. So you've you brought up a few things there. One of them is purpose. So here's a question for you, Charity. You know, organizations, in my opinion, often are operating without a sense of purpose. And secondly, the strategy seems to be a bit unclear to employees. So if we're starting... You know with the um, with the individual employee you know if you will at sort of the the bottom of the ladder but working in frontline positions what do you do to help uh, be clear with what the purpose of the organization is and also the the clarity of strategy so everyone is aware of why we're doing what we're doing
1: yeah well I think that the the important thing is that not everybody will understand it
0: not everybody will have that clarity
1: But what's critical is that as you get into the organization, say as CEO, one of the things that I like to do is that I get in very early, maybe by an hour before everybody comes in, do what I need to do, and then I go walk about. Mm. And you walk about starting from the shop floor and ask everybody this question So, what do you think? How are we doing? Where do you think we're going? Do you understand the strategy? And they'll say, What strategy? I don't know. What are we talking about? So, you engage. At that level, and then you go to the next level, and so on and so. Of course, Exco, as far as I'm concerned, as they're supposed to be delivering that uh, message downwards, but it's not always delivered in the way it's supposed to be intended. And at the same time, it does get lost into translation. So you really have to go back and check back and talk to the people. You know, like they say, fill the people's needs on the floor and understand whether your strategy is synchronizing with their objectives and whether the objectives are fully aligned with that of the company as well. So once you have that clarity, it's easier then to bring them on side and say, let's work together. I need your help. Because when you say this is what I want you to do, it doesn't always work. But when you go out and say, I need your help, can we work together? What do I need to do to help you get this done? And so when I put myself there as the CEO wanting to help, it's much easier to talk to me than the CEOs expecting results. I don't know if you you understand, because I'm going there talking to them like-minded. I said, I need this to happen. What do you think? And at each level, I had my own CEOs. I said, you're the CEO of this thing for me at this floor. Can I trust you to do this with me?" And they all agree. I'm there for they rally behind you, they bring in their mates. And because they are mates at the same level, they understand one another, it's easier to engage and embark upon that strategy. So I did that throughout, And when we had our town halls, Because we've now started having town halls that people speak and in the town hall, everybody from the security guard to the sweeper to the cleaner, everybody was in that town hall. And they were free to ask the CEO any question. And on top of that, we have a very strong trade unionist um, environment in Zambia. So I had a separate discussion with the trade union unions because it was always important that they understood that we're working for the same thing because trade unions are very much focused on remuneration, focused on terms and conditions of the non-managerial staff who make up the majority of the organization. So once you have them on site, then they bring their membership on site and it's easier then to follow up with them. So it's really a question of communication a question of trust and ensuring that everybody understands that the bottom line is excellence. That's what we're working towards. And that at the center of it all is to make sure that we have a customer who's happy to deal with us and who repeatedly come and ensure that they can also spread the word. So it's all about engagement at every level.
0: Such an amazing point. And often I think leaders are forgetful that if you so use your adage right from the shop floor to the top floor that it's a it's it's sort of a muscle of reinforcement that you can't just hope and wish that trust occurs you can't just hope and wish that collaboration occurs you can't hope and wish that the strategy is understood so would you agree Mm -hmm. that in order to build that sort of trust and clarity that that reinforcement of your leadership throughout the organization is required
1: Absolutely. And at least in my Zambian context, OK, because in Zambia, there's this thing about leadership as elders. They see this divide between the two of you. And there's always that, um, you know, that, that there's this respect that just transcends everything else. And they'll, they, they'll deal with you out of fear than they do out of wanting to do it. So you have to get them to the point where they move away from that fear and respect to wanting to do it and feel free to engage with you. So the traditional cultural things also lend their own weight. I mean, for example, um, when I was setting up EcoBank and we finally opened and I'll go to the tellers and work with them in the till to see how best we can support them. They can see me as the CEO sitting in the teller, attending to customers as well, counting cash, doing the deposits and what have you. And I asked them, but why aren't you smiling to your customers, you know? And they'll say, oh, it's not in our culture to smile at strangers. Wow. Yeah. So I said, no, but this is nice because if you smile, your customer already feels at home welcomed and you know, when they go and do your feedback, they'll be very happy with you. And so I noticed that early on in my years as a director in Barclays back then. And so I noticed again, when I was in Bank as the CEO going into the cashier's booth to help them out and just to show them that I can do this as well with you. And that just strengthened that bond.
0: Well, it sounds like you're uh, an advocate of demonstrating sort of being a human being as a leader to team members that might not be in leadership roles. So how important is it for you as a leader to act like a human being and to show that, that care, that compassion, that humanity?
1: I think it's very important because um, whether you succeed or fail, they'll always know that we were, we were at it together. Mm-hmm. And also my first experience is that when I was at Citibank many, many years ago, when I first started off my banking career, I had a very, um, difficult boss it's a very difficult CEO who just made me feel unwelcome and such that I never thought the need to give my best intentionally but I was forced to because I didn't want him to sack me and that just made for a very uncomfortable uh, time with him and he was there for two years and I just couldn't wait to get out of the bank or him to live whichever way it was. So it is from there that I learned that, you know, the humane fest doesn't mean that the, the, your employees or your juniors, your direct reports would take advantage of you. If anything, they have a better respect for you. They have better communication and they tell you things that they don't tell their bosses, which when you tell their bosses, they're surprised that you know at all. So our, it was a, a great pool of information that didn't come into the boardroom, when we're having exco uh, meetings, um, exco meetings, because at the end of the day, they are trying to also shield this part of their their performance and deal with it later. But when I bring it to the floor, and I bring it to the floor, it's Not so much as yeah, yeah, you didn't tell me like oh, doing my work, but this is what I found out. How can we deal with it in line with our strategy, with our purpose, with our day- and with our people philosophy as well. So it was really. Um, it's really is something that I think it's important for each leader to pursue.
0: You know, you're speaking the language of leadership music and it's a choral choir opera of awesomeness. So thank you so much, Charity. One, one, one other uh, question I have for you related to all of this kind of comes back to empowerment and agency. So what it sounds like, you know, in your style, um, your, to build trust, You have to have that rapport and relationship, that clarity, that communication, that humanity, that human being, I am with it uh, for you, with you uh, as we go through this. But it also sounds, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, that empowerment and sort of agency of the employee is really important so that they can provide you with feedback and ideas or intelligence, etc. Is that again a fair assumption I'm making here in your in your style? That's a
1: very fair assumption because uh, most of them, uh, the really critical information that we need about our products, our services, our customers, come from the people who deal directly with them. And if you cut out that, then you are really fishing, or as I say, spitting in the wind, because it comes and blows back in your face, you really need to get that detail, that information. And not only does it give you valuable uh, intel, it also tells the people down there that they're there to make a difference, that whatever they do actually makes a difference and contributes to the performance of the organization. And that helps them even work much better in terms of the output. So it it just has so many, so many positives you just can't walk away from such an important uh, opportunity to do the right thing with the people and my philosophy is that when i was asked once why should anybody be led by you was that they it's because they will thrive my job as a ceo is to support them to become better to thrive to succeed because when they succeed i succeed
0: that's poetry charity that's absolute leadership poetry so on the then segue and topic of thriving, you know, what's your take on well-being these days? Like, what is it that we should be doing as leaders to help support the psychological, emotional, mental, and physical wellness of the employee, whom you know has so many different um, exactly they have so many things getting in the way of life, you know, well-being in life, and they have to bring those so-called whole selves into work so what is the company or the organization or in fact that you know the ceo's responsibility for well-being these days
1: i think as a ceo you must ensure that you've got a very good stress management policy because all that adds to the stress and i believe that coming to work does not mean that it has to be all serious and deadly you must have fun while you're at the workplace, and I encourage always a fun workplace, so that at the end of the day, you 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 spend eight hours in this organization. You must look forward to going there, knowing that you're going to have fun, even as you are doing something really serious. So, uh, in in uh, in one of my organizations, we used to have a TGIF every Friday. Oh yeah. And- yeah, we'd put a kit together and everybody puts money, and then we agree where to go, or we bring in the drinks and the snacks and everything yeah. else. <laughs> in another, we used to have it once a month, and we are always ensured that there was team engagement, and they must always be either outside the office or somewhere in like remotely from the offices, so nobody feels like popping back in to check their emails and, and such. <laughs> So it was really important. That is one. I also asked my HR teams to be very on point when it comes to lifestyle audit to see how our teams are engaging in, at a personal level. If they're asking for too many salary advances or they're always getting less, too many loans, for example. And you, you always encourage the HR people, please talk to them and find out what's going on. So we can see how best we can help them because ultimately their work will be affected and that affects the overall performance of their department, the performance of the organization. So it was really in our interest to make sure that the, the staff were comfortable. Not everybody would open up obviously, but we made sure that we gave it our best. And once in a while we would bring in a counselor as well
0: well, let's let's tackle that for a second because I had, it segues quite wonderfully to this other question I had for you, Charity, and that's, you know, <clears throat> in my research, you know, I'm finding that this uh, need for employees for team members to have a sense of self worth and self esteem, yeah. you know, in life, but you know, life gets brought into the organization into their work as well. So, what's your take on where organizations and leaders are in? you know, helping the, the, the team member feel worth and feel that esteem both in life and work because it's such an important relationship.
1: I think one of the least uh, utilized tools in organizations is coaching. Mm. We focus a lot on mentoring, but not so much on coaching. And if we could have more organizations take up coaching, you will have a situation where the, the, the employee is more comfortable with a neutral person to offload and get advice from that person without feeling they're being judged. Because that's the one thing that a lot of employees don't like, they don't want to be judged. It might affect this, might affect that. So we we introduced mentorship. And in in the mentorship program, this is exactly what we're trying to achieve. Get people to talk, see how we can help you, no judgment. And at the end of the day, we had our staff trained, especially in in one of the banks I I worked with and the telecom as well, including, in fact, all of the industries, we had them trained in how to receive and give feedback. Ah. So that we are non-judgmental, And really it's about the work and not the person. And when you make that focus, then the person themselves, if they had any personal issues, they would raise them and see how best you can help them with. So for me, especially when when I was dealing with my direct reports, who were really the directors that were responsible for the other departments, I made that very, very clear that this is about helping you, be better at work because we don't want you to bring all the pressures in because people drown in in their pressures of work as well as things that they bring in externally. And sometimes we say, just leave it at the door. because That's all you can say. Leave it at the door. And if there's any help I can give you, please, let's have a chat. But you see, you want to empathize. You don't want to own the problem as well because then it just leads into other things. So as much as we empathize, we also give the solutions to where they can go to get help.
0: Amazing. Well, in in that vein, I think there's a relationship potentially, and again, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, however, but um, to you know the employee's confidence and in their skills and their abilities. So you know, back to putting your your senior leader hat on, and your CEO hat on, and your board chair hat on. What responsibility lies with the organization, thus, to then develop um, the skills and abilities of the employee such that it's not just uh, the the tasks that are required for the job, but that you're developing the whole self of the employee. What, what do you think of that?
1: So we used to do what uh, we call the balance sheet, the people balance sheet. Oh. And in the people balance sheet, it was to ascertain who's who, what they have, and do it like a skills audit and then see who's the person that can succeed them, who can succeed that person and so on and so forth. Then you look at your skills audit of each individual. And then obviously you come up with a a plan. Okay, we introduce the KPIs in the performance management system, quarterly reviews and everything of the sort. And then that is fed into the quarterly review or the semi-annual review. So that at the end of the day, you have a balance sheet of people, you know their skills, you know what they, they want to develop in and you give them that time Fortunately, in Zambia, we do have what we call study leave, and we give them that opportunity to take on a course that is relevant to their work, relevant to their advancement or to what they aspire to. They can take off a couple of weeks to go and uh, do an exam for their particular subject, and then they come back. And so as, and we put in that recognition element as well. If they come back and have successfully done what they were supposed to have done when they were took their leave, we elevate them with more responsibility or salary and a new, or a new role. And it just put in the vibe that when when I put in the effort it shows and I'll get moving. So if there was, there's always this, I believe people should always recalibrate that, that they should always develop themselves and they should always be uh, retooled to enhance their prof- proficiency at any work that they're doing. So I think the organization has that responsibility because you need to get the best out of people. And the only way you can do is by training them and ensuring that they engage at the level that they understand they're required to execute for that particular role or a future role, especially if they're identified successes.
0: That's amazing. I really love that idea of the people balance sheet. I mean, well, way too often organizations are suggesting, You know, they say people are our most important assets, yet they they really treat their employees like a number in a spreadsheet. But what you're suggesting is actually the balance sheet, the people balance sheet indeed, is this uh, investment protocol of their skills, their proficiency, and their character, I'm assuming.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and we need to develop them. So we identify that if this is a successor for this particular, if this person is a successor for this particular role, what what are their strengths? What are they lacking? How do we build them up?
0: Amazing, okay. uh,
1: I made sure it translated throughout the organization to ensure that people really understood that there was an opportunity, and if they put in the time, they put in the effort to do what was required of them in terms of their own personal development.
0: <laughs> I think I wanted to work for you uh, back in the day, um, you uh, Charity. You talked a couple minutes ago about, uh, and we won't name him, but that boss for about two years that really, you know, you didn't um, didn't really click with, but. What were the the lessons of what not to do that you learned ultimately from that particular leader?
1: I learned that you may not necessarily like a person, but it doesn't mean that they are bad at what they do.
0: Uh.
1: Yeah, and when people come to work, they don't come at a personal level. They come at a responsibility level to, to get a job done to the best of their ability and get paid for it.
0: And it's those abilities potentially that maybe that particular individual was lacking from investment from their leaders and the organization itself. So again, there could be a quid pro quo going on there.
1: Yeah, possibly. No, it was, it was really a rough two years. And the only reason I stayed in the job was because A, I was a single mom at that time and B, I needed the job. It was very well-paying and I just stuck it out. But imagine if I didn't have those options, I would have left.
0: Yeah well that, that shows both your vulnerability, thank you for that, as well as your perseverance and resilience and grit i 'm sure um, everyone that 's in your orbit knows that 's exactly what you stand for now w- One of the things you 're also known for and renowned for is that, that creating and crafting and uh, cultivating that sense of belongingness on the team and you know the organization So tell me yeah. a bit about belongingness
1: okay, I find that uh, when when a team member feels a vital part of the organization or their own team, they bring to the team more than just their knowledge, their skills, they bring their heart. Because if without the heart, you know, it's very difficult to belong. And so it was always important that they were able to speak openly without criticism, without judgment. And as an example, when I was at one of my organizations, somebody came and told me, oh. You know, I have this member of staff that this, that, that, that very difficult, blah, 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 blah. So I said, so what are you doing about it? Oh, no, I just think I'm waiting for the um, quarterly review and I'm going to make this recommendation. And then I said to them, okay, so what does that say about you? And that put them back. I said, what do you mean? What does that say about me? I said, yeah, because you're the people who are supposed to be managing people. How are you managing this person other than waiting to exit them? You need to sit down and find out what's happening to the person, what's in their life, what it is that you can help them with and understand why this is a challenge. And that way they will feel like they belong to your team. And after that, you know, they will then give you the work and the output that you're looking for, show some interest. And so this person went back and said, oh, can you imagine the CEO said, what does that make me if I don't deal with this? I said, yeah, you've got to deal with it. You can't pass it along. You're the leader in the job, deal with it. It's when you've dealt with it and you still don't have a positive result that then you can escalate. But don't just come and try and push somebody out of the organization just because you don't like them or you can't get along with them or whatever opinion they had. So I think it's important.
0: Uh, well, you have uh, provided us with uh, truth after truth after truth of what it really um, defines as the perfect leader charity you're uh, you're a gem mm-hmm. my penultimate question before we find out where we can learn more about you is this um if you had something to offer today that might be your your best lesson or best piece of advice after a very storied three decade career and it continues in all of your work still what's that advice or lesson that you want leaders to be thinking about today
1: mm. um I'll answer it like this, uh, a couple of months or so ago, I was taken to lunch by one of my former directors that I worked with, she reported into my office and she asked me a question she says, why do you think you've contributed to this world? What have you done to contribute to this world? And I'm like, hmm, I like to help, I like to, you know, see why, where I can push somebody into, you know, something positive, tactic. and then she says, no, you have in you a very spiritual, if not uh, innate ability to always wanting to see the best in others. So I believe that there's always something good in somebody before you even try to write them off, find that good and see how best you can show it to them so that they can become better at what they
0: do. Well, I think your your name says it all. You are a charity for goodness. You're a charity for leadership awesomeness. Charity. Uh, thank, thank you so, you so much. So much. Uh, you're brilliant. Where Where can we find out more about you? Give us a, Give us an idea where to find out about you.
1: So right now, it's just really on my um, my LinkedIn page. I do a little bit of Twitter, but I haven't been active there. I have a foundation, the Charity Chandalumpa Foundation. We've got a, um, a Facebook page where we just put things that we do in terms of community support, community development. I'm also trying to write a book. So uh-huh. that's a couple of uh, Yes, <laughs> I hit, but that's exactly where you can find me.
0: Well, if I can find any way in which to help you, Charity Lumpa, with that book or anything else, uh, you just knock on my door. I'll be the first there to uh, give you any charity of assistance, my friend. Thank you for doing this today. Thank Thank what so lovely much. insight. What lovely insights from someone who <laughs> has been there uh, on the ground, as you say, from the uh, the shop floor to the top floor, uh, you truly are a remarkable human being that knows and has demonstrated what it takes to inculcate that culture of love, that give, that care, and ultimately helping people find their true and whole selves at work and in life. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Dan. I appreciate this, and I enjoyed having our chat. Thank you so much.
0: All right, everyone, that's another episode of Leadership Now uh, today with Charity Lumpa. Charity, again, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And all the best to you, Dan.
0: Thank you.